Thank you, Sarah. Do keep that open this morning as we look at that story and also the explanation of those events that Peter gives later in the chapter this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that by your spirit you will open our eyes, our hearts and minds to understand that we might know you and make Jesus, Christ and Lord, known to the world. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, as we said at the beginning of the service, as human beings, we have a tendency, don't we, to divide from each other. We emphasize the differences between us of background or culture. We divide over anything from our political views to our age, our language. Uh, even the football team we support apparently can be divisive. Well, this chapter of Acts is, is all about how God is able to transcend those differences through the gospel, the message of Jesus, and the Spirit's role in that. It starts this chapter, as we saw, with this really divided group of Jewish people gathered in Jerusalem, many different languages and tribes and nations. It ends, if you do turn over the page at the end of chapter 2, you'll see it ends there with the community of the believers, verses 41 to the end of the chapter. And it's a picture, though we won't read it today, but it's a picture of how God unites his church, this first Pentecost church, in what's called the fellowship, the community of believers. A transformation takes place between the beginning and end of the chapter. And and today, as we remember Pentecost, that first day, it's all about what brought that transformation from disunity to unity. Now, in the Jewish calendar, the day of Pentecost, it simply means 50 days, is marked in the calendar from Passover to the Harvest Festival of Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, or Easter in our language. So a Harvest Festival, it does make a suitable moment, doesn't it, for Christ to pour out his spirit, the first fruits of his kingdom on his people, the spiritual harvest. But also by the time of Jesus, Pentecost had become a a memorial of the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments through Moses at Mount Sinai. And so it also becomes a, a spiritual mark for us of Christ pouring out his word by his spirit that we might know him as his people. So agricultural and spiritual, the meaning of Pentecost. And like Christmas and Easter, Pentecost is a unique, unrepeatable day in God's calendar. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ has ascended... We're going to see that Peter explains all that in his speech. And a new page of God's plan has begun. That's what Pentecost is doing. And we live in the light of what happened on that day, the events we've just heard read, and we share in the new life that that Holy Spirit brings to God's people. Now, we're going to go back today to Peter's speech that wasn't read, Because only by doing that can we really understand how Peter the Apostle explains what all this means. The question of verse 12 there, what does this mean? The signs we've just seen on the day of Pentecost. But before we do that and look at Peter's speech, 
there are in those verses we've just had read two huge truths about God and about what the coming of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, this new era that's begun, what that means. Two truths about God, first of all. Here's the first one. That God speaks to all without exception. That's really verses 1 to 4, but it's also picked up in Peter's speech. So the early believers are gathered in Jerusalem, as we've seen, waiting for Christ to send the Spirit, as he promised back in Acts chapter 1. Wait in Jerusalem, he says, till I send the gift the Father promised. And as the Spirit finally comes, there are actually three signs, aren't there? Did you see that in the reading? Three signs. In verse 2, there's a sound, a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. The sound of a wind. And in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is often pictured as like a breath or a wind from God. If you're taking notes, that will have a very good memory. Ezekiel 37, verse 9. John 3, verse 8. The Holy Spirit is, is the breath, the wind of God. Second sign, a sight. They see something. They hear, they see, verse 3. They saw what happened, what appeared to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. So it's not fire, it's like fire. They're not tongues, they're like tongues. It's all spiritual imagery. But the image there, it almost sounds like lightning, doesn't it? It makes you think of the lightning and the thunder on Mount Sinai when God gave the law to Moses. But it's the third sign that the writer Luke and Peter in his speech spend their time on. And that is the third sign of the speech. So the sound, the sight, but the speech is the real thing. Verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now this is great. Looking around the church this morning, we have a number of different languages represented. I can see just the, the nations even in our church this morning. It's a remarkable sign, this one. You see, later in the New Testament, there's what seems a different sign. In Corinthians, Paul speaks about the, the, the gift of tongues, which is a prayer language, speaking in what are not even human languages, praising or praying to God. Here, though, if you look at verse 6, we're told Jerusalem's full of God-fearing Jews from all over the, the world, and they're amazed by what they hear, the speech they hear from the disciples, and they ask, verse 7... Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How do we hear them speaking in all our languages? Or could even be translated dialects. So you've got, you know, you've got Cockney, you've got Liverpudlin, you've got Northern, you've got Norfolk. All the, all the languages, all the dialects of the whole world are being heard. This seems to be a a unique day of Pentecost moment, something God is saying by his spirit about his desire to communicate, to speak to the world, to make himself known to us. You see, they're filled with the spirit, this Pentecost day, by the God who speaks so that all may come to know him without exception. Peter explains in his speech you look at verses 17 and 18, in the last days, God says, 
I will pour out my spirit on, on all people. So here's Pentecost, it's happening. He said he will, and now he has. From the words of Joel in the Old Testament, your sons and daughters, he says, will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, even on my servants. That means just all my people, both men and women. I'll pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. They will speak about me. They will speak in my name. This is what is happening, says Peter, in your very ears, as God is speaking at Pentecost by his spirit in a new way, so that all now can know God and all now can make God known without exception. Haven't got to be male, haven't got to be a priest or a prophet or a king, like in the Old Testament, all now by my spirit will speak of me and know me. It's a wonderful thing. Before, you see, before Pentecost, all was darkness and ignorance. Hardly anyone knew God in this way. Now, God is known. God speaks to all without exception. That's a very precious truth for you and me, isn't it? Very precious. It means, firstly, this. If God is speaking now, as Peter says he is, in this age of Pentecost, through his Spirit to all his people, the first question is this. Am I listening? Are you listening? Because the Spirit is speaking now through his people, and to his people. It's one thing to believe in God, it's quite another to listen to him. And his spirit, if you're a believer, his spirit enables us to do that. It's one thing to come to church, it's another to be filled with the spirit who speaks. Here's another thing, the spirit's been poured out on the whole church, all without exception, to equip our speech. No one Accepted. So it's not only, is it now, priests, clergy, bishops who do the speaking about God or have a special channel to know God themselves in a special way. And that's why, as we've seen in our service, that's why the words we speak to each other are so powerful if they are spirit-driven, scripture-filled words. That's why those conversations over coffee can be so life-changing. As we drop in the words of truth about God that he's given us that we speak in his name. That's why small groups are so precious. That's why the one-to-one Bible reading idea is so powerful. We've given the scriptures to speak to each other by the God who speaks to all without exception. Relating to that, similar to that, God also saves all without distinction. This is unpacked really in verses 5 to 12. Here's this crowd. They hear this speaking going on in their own languages. They are amazed. They are baffled. They even think they're drunk if you look at verse 13. But they're amazed not just by the phenomenon of the languages, but by the number of the languages they hear. The nations mentioned come, again, Sarah did a great job reading those, didn't she? They come from north of Jerusalem, south of Jerusalem, east of Jerusalem, west of Jerusalem. See what God is doing here? He's saying, I'm going to speak to people and save people from all these nations. The ones that are gathered in Jerusalem for Pentecost, by the way, they would have been Jewish believers. We're told that they're God-fearing Jews. 
But if you read Acts, if you get on to chapter 10, as we will in a couple of weeks' time, and chapter 11, you'll see this is just a little foretaste. God's going to reach people from those nations, not just who are Jewish, but who are even Gentile. Shock, horror. And Acts 2 is prefiguring, predicting that. God's saying, look, I'm going to reach people from all these nations, from the whole world. I'm going to save all without distinction. Jews, Gentiles, male, female, slave, free, as Paul says in Galatians, Egyptian, Roman, East Anglian. It's actually rather nice that there are, in in that list, there there are some from nations that we now know as places like Iran. We've got Iranians here this morning, and Iraq, and Turkey, and Greece, and North Africa. God plans to save people from the whole world without distinction. Jesus promised at the end of Luke's gospel this would happen. He said, my name, my kingdom will be preached to all nations. And the Spirit is overcoming the barriers of language that divide us, the barriers of culture that keep us apart, and bringing all people together without distinction in salvation. It's very exciting to see, isn't it, how God is doing that in the church today. In the church, in this church today, increasingly different ages and cultures being added to our number, saved by God in Christ, without distinction. You can be today, can't you, an African Christian, and you haven't got to stop being African to be a Christian. You can be an Asian Christian, haven't got to stop to be Asian to be a Christian. You can be an East Anglian Christian. You can even, you know, stay a Norfolk boy and be a Christian. You can be a Norwich supporter and a Christian, an Ipswich supporter and a Christian. It's true, you can. I I know you doubt, you really can. Um, You can be a football fan, a Daily Mail reader, um, uh, a music-loving Christian, all without distinction. God saves. And that means for us, I think, again, a couple of things. First thing, the crowds from all these nations, they would have carried, God's very clever, they would have carried, wouldn't they, this gospel message back to where they've come from. Isn't that clever? You've now got people going back to Egypt uh, telling about Jesus. You've got people going back to Rome, to Crete. We've seen Titus, haven't we, in our small groups. He's from Crete, or he works in Crete. There's a church there. Why? Because God sent people in their culture back to their culture. And he sends us, doesn't he, back to where he's put us here in Norwich, in our families, in our communities, in our workplaces. We have a message to carry from a God who speaks about a God who saves all that he sends us to without distinction. Second thing, if we're talking here about how God communicates within different languages, isn't it wonderful that we have an English translation this morning? Thanks to people like Tyndale and Wycliffe. If you haven't got a modern English translation, and English is your, is your mother tongue, your home language, get a modern English translation. We've got them to sell at the back there. We'll give you one if you haven't got one. If your language is another first language, your mother tongue is something, then if we can help you, get a Bible in your own language. What a gift it is. We've got a, a pair in our church here, Tony and Carol, who work for an organization that help nations, people groups, that don't have the Bible in their own language to have it translated. Isn't that wonderful? We can pray for that work too. 
God speaks, but God also saves all people without distinction in Christ. But that's not where Pentecost stops, is it? Peter stands up in verse 14, and he answers that question, what does this all mean? This weird speech in our language, what does it mean? Peter explains in verse 14, and actually we'll pick it up really verse 22, because we've looked a bit at 17 and 18 already in the prophecy of Joel. A third thing, God summons all without delay to respond to Christ. This is what Pentecost really means. It's ironic, isn't it? We think in a sense that Pentecost is all about the Holy Spirit, and it is, but actually, Peter says, no, it's it's really all about unbelievers, people who need God's love to hear about Jesus, because he's the key that unlocks this. We've seen, Peter's already shown, that the language, the speech of Pentecost pointed to Joel's prophecy being fulfilled, that God's clock has turned on to another period the age of the spirit. And now we see, he says, that is all because of Jesus. Now, it's a long sermon. We're not going to look at the whole thing at all now, but just the the key points he makes. Uh, I've put them on the screen there. That Jesus was, first of all, sent by God, verse 22, and then was killed by, well, by us. Human beings put him to death. We didn't want him as our king. That's verse 23. You, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. He was then raised to life. It's verse 24. God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on Jesus. And then he says, Jesus has been exalted as Lord and Christ. He's been lifted to God's right hand, and he says, as Lord and Christ, as Lord is is the Old Testament really named for God, Christ is the Greek word for what we call a king. As Lord and king, he's now ruling over everything and he's poured out his spirit. That's why you're seeing what you see today, says Peter. It's all because of Jesus. He's died, he's been raised, he's been exalted, he's poured out the spirit. And Peter says, that's what you really need to know. He's Lord and Christ. It's Jesus. It's rather like, you know, see how he's keeping the focus there on Jesus all the way through. He won't let us focus anywhere else here. But if you go for an eye test and, they, and, and the optician puts your head into one of the kind of machines and you rest your chin on the thing and they say, look at the spot in the middle. And I'm kind of itching to kind of look sideways and look anywhere else. But you've got to fix your eyes on that spot, haven't you, the light in the middle. He's saying, fix your eyes on Jesus. If you look at him, this will make sense to you. That's what you need to know. Who is Jesus? Where is he now? He says, this is where he is. He's in heaven. You killed him. God raised him. That's bad news for you, isn't it? Because you killed him, and he's now king. But the good news is, says Peter, and this is where he gets to the end of his speech, verse 36, and it's worth turn over and have a look at it if you haven't already got it open with you. Verse 36. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So that's actually quite bad news for us, isn't it? We've shut him out. We've killed him. And God's made him Lord and Christ. He's going to judge us one day. And so they say, 37, what do we do? Oh, my goodness, what do we do? And he says, verse 38, here's the good news. Repent 
and be baptized, every one of you, is the summons for all without delay for the forgiveness of sins. You can be forgiven. There is a way back. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because he's now begun the spirit age. Where all can know God. God speaks to all. All can be saved. God saves all. God summons all who hear about Jesus to turn away from our past and to receive him as Lord and with him his Holy Spirit and a new heart to begin to obey him. That's the summons. It's in Christ and there's no delay. Turn from this generation, says Peter. Do it now. So it could be here this morning that there's some of us who need to hear that summons very directly ourselves. You need to repent. You need to be baptized in the name of Christ. It may be that you've longed to know God for a little while. You've been looking. It may be that you've discovered the life of God's community, God's church here. And you also discover that, like all of us, you're part of the people that killed Jesus. And it's now time to say sorry, to come home, and to receive forgiveness in the Spirit. If that's you this morning, please either find someone near you and say, I think I need to do that. How do I do that, please? Or come and find me or Alex, and we'd love to talk you through and say a short prayer with you. If you need to keep searching, then just keep searching. That's the summons of Christ. But maybe some of us here, if we're followers of Christ, we need to hear this challenge, don't we? When's the last time that you or I told someone the simple facts about Jesus that Peter does here? Because we're very good at saying, you know, I kind of believe in faith and I think God's there somewhere and maybe talk about the evidence for God existing in this kind of sceptical age we live in. Uh, How do I also make sure that I do this? I say... And by the way, you know, if you ever want to talk about Jesus, we do believe as Christians that his death is vital, his life is eternal, and his summons is urgent. I wonder what you make of that. Have you had that kind of conversation with someone? Because that's what Peter does here. It's not long, it's not complicated actually, is it? But it's quite direct and bold. Last thought is this. Someone here is probably feeling discouraged in faith. You're probably here feeling slightly that life is very complicated at the moment. You can't really see the way through the next few weeks and months. Well, please, if that's you, be encouraged that Christ loves you deeply. He gave his life for you. And because you have responded to him in faith, you have received his forgiveness, whatever you've done. And you have received his spirit, who now lives in you, to equip you for all that you need along with all his servants, as Peter puts it, it's given to you, whoever you are, to know God, to make him known, to experience his spirit. So Pentecost Day has shown the world, hasn't it, that Christ reigns, Lord and Christ, that he's poured out his spirit on all who receive him, that all may know him, that all may experience him without distinction. And the wonder of the church, and we are 
with all our faults, a wonderful thing. The wonder of the church is that God has gifted sinners with the new life of the Spirit in order to create a whole new people out of us, us motley crew. People who are united from every tribe and every language by the God who speaks to us, speaks through us, and saves us in Christ. So let's give thanks for that and pray for more of that now. Let's pray. So, Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you came and were prepared to die even though we had turned away from you. And thank you that raised and exalted to heaven, you have indeed poured out your spirit that we, all of us today, may know you and that we, all of us today, may be saved, brought into your family for eternity whoever we are. Thank you for the grace of this age of the Spirit. Please will you fill us each with your Spirit now that we might know you and tell others of you and we know the deep experience and assurance of forgiveness of sins and the new life your Spirit gives. In his name we pray. Amen.